This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. What a beautiful way to start a Sunday as, as we look at that concept of new and, and trying to think, why new? Like, what is it that reaches into our soul? Like, like that song's very touching. Could I get an amen over that? <laughs> you know, if you can make it through listening to a song like that without allergies kicking in at some point in time, you're superhuman. Why? Why? It's just noise. What, what is it that, that's traveling through this room that all of a sudden touches our heart when we hear a song beautifully performed like that? Or we hear the word of God and we find ourselves in tears. Maybe it's because something new is happening in your life. Maybe it's because there's this inner memory of life, this inner connection to God, to heaven, to the angels. There's this inner peace, and I mean that in both senses of the word, that music like that reaches in and touches, where God's word reaches in and touches, where service reaches in and touches, where my crazy kids at the dinner table two nights ago reaches in and touches. I think we all know that place. Hard to put words to it. But I think so much of God's divine providence is helping us to live into that space more and more. And what does that feel like? It feels like new. A new way of thinking, a new way of being, a new way of holding life. It's not about changing life. It's not like a new life. Because many of you, me, all of us, have lives that have good days and bad days. We don't necessarily get to control all that. But maybe we can find that newness that's under the surface. And that's what we're going to start to look at today. So uh, with this new series... This is how the series is going to go. Today we're looking, I'll have you say the, the C word there. Today we're looking at a new, a new commandment. Then next week, a new covenant. Week after that, a new relationship. And the last one, a new church. So as we look at this, folks, you know, this is the context. If we go to the next slide, this is the context I want to talk about. So there are basic three phases, but I'm going to talk about the first two here, construct and deconstruct. And I'm going to hop back and forth here real quick between these three. So we'll see how the camera guys watch their fast reflexes here. So we have an initial phase, which is the construct phase of life. It's where we put everything together. And it's, it's, it's a good phase. It's a necessary phase. It's, it's as Richard Rohr would call it, it's, it's the phase of the loyal soldier. We're just learning the simple pieces to take care of business. We're just learning one of the most simplest truths of all time that I love, and I love this quote, which is a river without banks is a puddle. You know, that we have to have banks and that those, those banks actually are really helpful. So we live in that space, and then inevitably, I'm hopping way over to the far carpet over here, inevitably then we hit a deconstruct phase. Were all those things over there that worked really well, worked really well, all of a sudden aren't working so well. Middle-age crisis, you could use all kinds of names for it, all kinds of things that will shift us from the construct to the deconstruct. 
Now, society breaks apart in this way too. We have some people in that camp. We have some people in this camp. It, it, it mirrors what happens right in the middle of us. And the problem is, is that, go, we go back one side. Don't we get that one? All right. That you look at the positive and the negatives. You know, the problem is, is that the construct phase and the deconstruct phase, what they tend to see in each other is just the negative. So if I'm standing over here, all I'm doing is looking over at that, saying that's bad. And if I'm standing over there, I'm looking at this and saying this is bad. And this is where you get crazy events like this. Can you see what's written on the shield that the guy's pushing people with? It says no hate. There's an irony there. <laughs> There's an irony there, right? And, and that's what happens. This is known as dualistic binary thinking. Zeros and ones, pluses and minuses, goods and bads. That's a challenging place to be in. And, and you won't find a lot of newness in this because it's filled with a lot of truth-telling with a small t, not with a big t, but truth-telling and truth-telling about what's wrong with them. Why they don't get it. Churches get stuck in this when they believe there's only two ways to read the Bible. Our way and the wrong way. And churches, I see many churches get stuck in that. We have to keep on moving beyond it. Because we have to move to this third place, which we can see up here. Take a look at what this third place is. This third place is where we start to move our narrative. And here I'm going to be coming out in the audience in a second. The many narratives of, say the D word there, the many narratives of despair are on the face of it. More impressive and reassuring. I love that line. That idea that the narratives we have of despair... You know, we get caught in this, in this conflict between these two. So as we, we're not sure what to do. We're not sure how to move in our lives. We're just in a really difficult time. And as we get stuck into that time, we get into narratives of despair where we're just, we're just rehearsing in our heads certain ways the world is or the world's against us, all that kind of thing. And that can actually feel, oh, sorry, go back one slide. Boy, I'm really off today. My bad. More impressive, more reassuring than the narratives of hope. So there's kind of the dichotomy I want you to think about. Narratives of despair versus narratives of hope. All right, and, and really just take a second to think in your life, like where you're practicing that. Which one of those two is winning today? Is the narrative of despair winning? Or is the narrative of hope winning? Now, I want to come out in the audience here. Those of you who are first time with us today, like a lot of the time I come out in the audience with a microphone, I will not put the microphone in your face if you don't want to answer, just no nervousness. But it is a chance so we can hear each other. I was, would love to hear, like, this narratives of despair, why do you find them, like, what's, what is so reassuring about it for you? And reassuring's in, quote, in quotes here, folks. It's not actually reassuring. You know, we know that, Right. But, but why, why do we tend to get caught more so in narratives of despair than narratives of hope? My, my experience is most people struggle more. I, I've never had anybody come into me with like, Chuck, I'm struggling. My narrative of hope is way too strong today. <laughs> never happened. Narrative of despair, I've seen about half of this congregation. So why, why do we get stuck there? Like for you, why do you get stuck there? Why do you get stuck in that place that's quote-unquote reassuring? So please, raise your hand. I'm going to come around with the mic. We'll get like two or three answers just to kind of fill this concept out.
I'm thinking that with narratives of despair, it's often we're blaming somebody else. So we get to be all that. We get to be king, queen, we, we get to be all that. We get to stand above it and like, yeah, of course I have my narrative of despair because I can place it out there, all my woes out there. Very good. I think there's easy to tell what's wrong and be sure that you're right. You know this isn't, this, what's going on is not right, and you know that. Then when you postulate what you should be doing, there's always a percentage. Will it work or won't it work? Will it work better or won't it work better? So one you can be more sure of than the other, and we don't like uncertainty. <laughs> That's really good. We can, I love that. We can be certain of despair, right? You guys know this, right? Why, why, are, why are most people cynical? Because life will never let them down. If you're sick, you, you can't be let down because you already know it's all horrible. So, you know, not a, not a problem. Having a little trouble articulating, but... The fear of failing is scarier than failing itself. Yeah. And so when you're going with a narrative of hope, there's that fear of failure. That's really good. Yeah, that, that whole fear. And, and I love the idea that fear kind of becomes its own energy, its own animal. One of, the, one of my favorite quotes, one to remember, is there's far more fear than danger. You mentioned reassurance. And I think sometimes giving the narratives to, of despair, especially to people you care about or care about you, will often incite them to argue with that point. Or, oh, my life is so hard. Oh, no, it isn't. You'll be okay. Whereas we have trouble doing that for ourselves. It's sometimes easier to hear from someone else, and you'll only get that argument by sharing a narrative of yeah, despair. That's it. And, yeah, and, and it's like, that's the beauty of sort of God's economy, is God's going to use your narrative of despair, your pit of despair. I'm a big fan of the movie. Um, you know, he's going to use that narrative of despair and define it as a way, like every time we practice it, don't think that, yeah, don't think that you're wrong if you're here practicing a narrative of despair. All you're really practicing is another opportunity to have a narrative of hope. A lot of you are well-practiced. So, you know, like we want to just keep on pressing. Right um, I was just thinking that while it's hard living in the place of despair, um, it doesn't require any work. So <laughs> that's right. So that's so good. Good to see you. I love, I love that idea that a narrative of despair requires no work, right? It's like it's a work-free zone. you got to love it. It seems that some of us uh, believe that uh, there won't be any change unless we regurgitate more and more <laughs> what's wrong. Right, right, right. <laughs> Right, there are clearly those people in love with that particular story, right? That unless, and this is where I love this. Folks, like, listen, care for this. I think this is a big one. Those are people who will say, you're not being realistic. And here's the crazy part. They're saying that reality is negative. Think about that. When, is, when have you ever heard somebody say, you know, somebody's really negative about something, you're like, oh, that's not, you're not being a realist. No, it's always when somebody's really positive, like, we're going to grow this church to 500 people, and then maybe say, oh, that's not realistic. You know, it's crazy stuff. All right. I feel like when I'm running a narrative of despair in my head, to be creative or to make change. So it keeps me stuck. That's beautiful, Dave. I love that idea, right? I hadn't never thought of that, Dave. You know, like, a narrative of despair cannot be a creative space. It just can't. 
you're living in a narrative of despair, you're eliciting or hoping to elicit empathy from others, which is sometimes a way for people to bond because they don't know how else to do it. Yes, yes. I, I think that's a really good point that a lot of the time, you know, the, if, we're, if we're likely to share, we're very likely and we share well around our narratives of despair. You know, we do that really well. For the first time attendees, do you see what a brilliant congregation we have? Those were just, this is why I don't even preach. I don't prepare anything. I just like, come you know, so please give everyone a round of applause. Thank you, folks. Again, so many beautiful points said there about how that works, and I think that's really important. By the way, I would invite you, you know, if you're welcome to take pictures of these slides, because I think they, they really do offer us something big into our lives and how we can move forward. Now, the trick is, again, how do we move through this? Well, next slide, you'll see, you know, where we start to think. So construct, deconstruct, let's say the R word there, reconstruct, reconstruct. Think of it this way, affirming, denying, reconciling. Affirming, denying, reconciling. This reconstruction place is really challenging. I, I look at people like Martin Luther King, who I think were able to do it, and what a genius, he was able somehow to navigate through these two polarities, through this dualistic thinking, through these binaries, to find a third way, but it's not a third way that says these don't exist. They're not there. Because see, if I hold that, that means that, oh, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I'm in the reconstruct phase. It's, that's a pure ego trip. The people I know who live in that place of reconstruct, who live in that place of reconciliation, put their arms around it all. That's a miracle to me. They've totally given up on dualistic thinking. They've totally given up on the idea that there's, there's this or there's that. They've moved to a far, 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 far different place. That's the place, reconstruction, focus down into the world on service. You know, you gather your arms around, you focus down into the world to serving other people, serving God, serving the person right in front of you, serving the better angels of your nature. You do that, you'll be called to a newness. And we know this, we know this. The word, God's word is forever calling us for our, from our old certainty to God's newness. We're always going to be called to do that. And it's, it's not like, folks, you know, as, as the band comes out, I want you to think about it this way. It's, it's not like you miss the train. You know, if you're coming here with your narrative of despair and you feel like, man, I missed the narrative of hope train. That's not how it works. God's newness, God's newness is every moment. big piece of the new church. God's newness is every moment. And every moment, we can choose. We can choose to touch love. We can choose to touch eternity. We can choose to touch that inner self I talked about and find again that narrative of hope.
beautiful song, and you know, and you could hear in, in that beautiful music again, like like the hope and longing. You know, that idea that we we want to live in this place of a reconstructed life, where we're not constantly breaking it back and forth, where we're not in that fear and anxiety, where we've learned to become more practiced in narratives of hope. And this is definitely one of those progress, not perfection things. I don't think any of us can pray hard enough, work hard enough to shift out of that mindset overnight. I think we'd get the bends. I think God very gently as that song so captures, very gently leads us home. Just small change after small change after small change after small change. So our part is to do the best we can with the work that God has set in front of us. And part of that, again, is learning to, to set aside dualistic thinking as best we can. I love, and we, we preached on this line from the Bible a few weeks ago, but I want to come back to it. And the Lord God, please say the C word there, Lord God commanded the man, you are free. It's talking about Adam and Eve way back at the beginning of the Bible. If you don't know this story, go back, watch the last series. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What that's talking about, again, is that, is that, is that binary mind that's always trying to sort what's good, what's bad, and I'd add in two words, for me. What's good, what's bad, for me. There, there is value in doing that to a certain extent. There is value in looking at our lives and being truth tellers with our lives and saying like, yeah, you know what, I'm doing this. This is not a, a good way to live. You're struggling with an addiction, for example. Like, of course, you want to be able to go, yeah, this, this isn't so great. But I think we have to bump it up. And this is, I'm not going to be able to explain this well enough. So, I'm, so my apologies ahead of time. But I think it's important, so I'm going to try. So here's a struggle with an addiction, right? And it's, we do want to be truth tellers there. A context for holding this. In the new church, we look at the Bible and we take the Bible very seriously. Very seriously. We don't take it literally. We see it as a beautiful poem. It's a poem about life. It's got stories in here of great hope, strength, courage, bravery, love, you know, just fill in the blank. It's got stories in here of betrayal, death, disease, murder, all those things, divorce. That's that sense of the letter of the word. And God clearly commands, like, don't change that. And I think God says, don't change that, because you can't. <laughs> Your life has good parts, and it's going to have hard parts. Probably none of you in here chose the hard parts. Could I get a little amen on that? You know, they just, they were. Nobody signs up to be an addict. Nobody signs up to have this or that or the other. That's not how we signed up. So it's easy to think, well, here's the story, the sense of the letter of the word. And something must be wrong because there's these stories in it that don't quite fit. No, that's because that's our lives. That's how we all live. Moments of this and moments of that. See, there's this sense of the letter that is God's word, and then there's the word living in us. And the two actually parallel. Parallel. 
So we can look at that word that is our lives, and here I'm being really clear, it's with a very small W. (laughs) That word that is our lives. And it goes through this same pattern. A pattern that starts with an original blessing. A pattern that moves on then to, to mistakes and errors. A pattern that keeps going and that it ends, it ends, it ends with these words that should bring tears to all of us. Ends with these words. Last part. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. If you're here and the story's hard, I want you to hear those words into your heart. God saying, I am with you always. I think we come to a point in time in our lives where we, where we start to see this as, as God, the way God's economy just continues to, to, to work as best it can, even in circumstances that are really trying, where God's economy works as best it can to try to do this, try to just bring love center to our lives. Bringing love really core to who we are in terms of what this life is all about. Now, I want to talk about that word command and and how we follow that. Now the word command, the word commandment, the context I want to use that word in is going to be slightly different, but I want to set it up. This is a story much later in the Bible. Much, much, much later in the Bible. And, And in this story, we're coming towards the Easter season. And Jesus has gathered his 12 disciples. For those who aren't familiar with the Christian story, the 12 disciples were 12 people who followed them. Followed him, excuse me. And and these are very normal people. These are not extraordinary people. These are not angels. These are just regular Joe Bag of Donuts, Jane Bag of Donuts. These are just regular people like you and me. And he walks in and he's telling them, like, look, I I just want to say, I just want to say, it's time for you to get ready. Because I know the end of my time is coming. I know the end of my time is coming. And they would have heard as well, they would have heard the drumbeats of that. Like they would have known the Roman soldiers were were getting ready. They would have known all these other things. They they would have seen that they were starting to annoy the Roman occupiers. Nothing good was going to come out of that. And then he says this, and I'm going to show you the slide here in a minute, but I want to set it up. He says, a new command I give to you. Now you think, so much of that phrase, command, goes back to that idea of like God saying a new command, like, and we'd be ready to go, all right, sir, ready. Ready for marching orders. What do you want me to do? What do you want me not to do? And the way I picture this is I picture Christ stepping into this room and here are all these very anxious people, anxious in the same way we are anxious, looking for newness in the same way we are looking for newness, for reassurance. And he starts out and he goes, a new command I have for you, a new command I give you. There's an attention getter. And I picture, and it doesn't say this in the text, but I picture them quieting down. Wondering. What's this, what's he gonna say? 
What's this new command? In those times of fear, don't we just want somebody to tell us what to do? Please say amen. (laughs) We just want somebody to just tell me what to do. Look at this line. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love one another. The incredible power of that line, spoken into the very anxiousness of our lives, spoken into those of us who are just yearning, like, God, tell me what to do. And here's God giving this very simple thing, saying, love one another as I have loved you. Reconciliation, a third way. A newness able to hold all of life's experiences. Not a way out of the pain that they were about to go through, but just as a way to hold it. The line in John goes on to say this. By this, folks, this is so big. Can we say this with a real vim and vigor? By this. this. Oh, that was good. Let's say it one more time. By By this, emphatically. By this. By this. Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you know how powerful that is? Not by how much you know, not by your buildings, certainly not by your preacher. (laughs) By this, this is how they're going to know you're a church. This is how you're going to know, this is how they're going to know you're Christian. This is how they're going to know that you followed my model. Not that you profess a certain belief or that you do a certain thing or that you can recite 500 different numbers and verses. But that you love each other. Newness. Complete newness. Now we know in life that what is simple to say is often not easy to do. So the Easter story happens, Christ dies, we come to this part of the Bible, a beautiful story, when they saw, now the context of this is, this is, this is a, the narrative has moved on, the context of this is that, that the disciples now, they're in a room, Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, he comes back, he sees them, they're like, oh, I can't believe he, he really pulled it off, look, he lives, and they're worshiping him. Like he's right there in the blood and with the, in the flesh and blood. And then, and then it says, but some doubted. Now we look at that line and I read that line all the time. It's thinking, but some doubted. That means that they doubted he had, he was really there, but he was really there. That's not the doubt they're talking about. At least I don't think so anymore. I think what they doubted was that this is true. Not that this is true as in like this is true that Christ is right here because he is, he was. But that this new way of life could work. That's where the doubt was. Because our narratives of despair, folks, will constantly pull us into questioning into doubting whether this way, W with a capital W way, this way actually works. Your narrative of despair, of course, will tell you, no, it won't. 
Again, I loved what was shared out there for all those reasons that were shared. So we need to constantly be working, be pushing against that as best we can. And what do we need to do? What do we need to hold on to? Well, I think it's this, and it's a pretty simple takeaway. We need to hold on to being a hope teller. Could we say that together? Hope teller. Now that's moving beyond just being a truth teller. Like there, there are clearly times to tell the truth. I want to be so clear about that. Again, a Martin Luther King did not shy away from telling the truth. He just told it with a capital T. Not with a small t, which is how most of us do it, certainly how I do it. Because when I'm interested in being a truth teller, I'm interested in telling you the truth about you. <laughs> especially if you disagree with me. Binary thinking. Back to the two poles again. We want to become hope tellers. That's what this is about. That's, I think, why you cried at that first song, because that's what you want to be. You want to be somebody who can tell hope even in times of great darkness, even in times where you can't quite believe it's true, even in times where you go like, yeah, I see it, Christ, but I doubt it. Because Christ doesn't say that that's wrong. That's part of the world's experience. Can I give you a multiple choice test? All right, so this is your multiple choice test. I'm going to show you two pictures. One is of hope tellers and one is not. All right, and you get to pick which is which. All right, so I'm just going to say hope teller. You'll say yes or no, and then we'll do the second one, yes or no. And if you're not sure, just watch somebody around you to get the right answer. All right, so first one. Is this a picture of hope tellers? Could you please say that like you mean it? No, No, those are not hope tellers. Who pushes somebody with a sign that says no hate? You know, that's that's not hope telling at all. Last week, beautiful day, worked with a couple, came down the stairs, out on our porch, chatting with Angela. To the left is all this stuff going to a homeless shelter. Right in front of me is a van full of moms and a grandma about to head down to work some down in the city. This picture, is it a hope teller, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Can we flip back and forth between those two? Ready? Could we say no? No. Yeah. All right, one more time. No. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Simple. Simple, right? Simple. Now, the story at the Ronald McDonald House, the letter of the word there is pretty hard. Sick kids with cancer is pretty hard. Could you buy into a narrative of despair there? Absolutely. Can you find a narrative of hope? Absolutely. Can you be a hope teller with your life? Known. Not for what you knew, but because you loved. Because you loved. Because you loved. Simple, folks. 
make this a week where you commit to being a hope teller. Amen. I'd ask you now to please join me in a prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer, and then you have your own opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to say your own silent prayer, or to just have a moment of quiet reflection. So please join me. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And as we prepare, Lord, for this final song, help us, Lord, to find that place in our lives where we can become hope tellers, where we can become those who move us into hope in our lives. We can hear the gentle music, Lord, the gentle music of your love and your life and your way and your province moving through us in that beautiful poem underneath our stories some days of which are blessed and some days of which are broken that is moving through our stories carrying us gently home be with us, Lord, in that place. Let us find our voice. Not as truth tellers about what is wrong with the others, but of truth tellers, what your truth is, of where we need to work. A truth teller, Lord, that actually moves us into hope and faith and love and light. place where we are known. We're known simply for this. That in this room, in this congregation, in this community, in this world, that we simply loved one another as best we could. That we just loved one another. Bless your ways, Lord. Thank you for these amazing people. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 